such a fun week at camp. Thank you. Just to echo Phil, thank you so much for those of you that were here Tuesday through Friday uh, helping us lead all these kiddos. It really was a fun time. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And we are at the halfway point in this summer of connection. Ten services at 10 a.m. This is week number five. And in case you're just joining us, or maybe it's your first time ever to Overlake, uh, we have been walking through the story of the life of David found in the Old Testament in First and Second Samuel. And so that's kind of where we've been tracking as a church family here. And we're going we're gonna to continue picking up that story where we left it, left it off last week. Uh, but I want to start with this. I want to share with you one of my little rhythms in life, one of the little things I do before I go to bed every night, uh, besides brushing my teeth. Uh, uh, and, and maybe some of you do this too, but before I go to bed, I always catch maybe not an entire segment, but at least a good portion of Sports Center on ESPN. I just, I have to. I'm always curious, right? What maybe happened in the sports world that I didn't know about yet? Or what are people going to be uh, talking about tomorrow that I need to be up in the loop on? And, and, and so I usually catch a little bit of Sports Center, then I head to bed. Uh, but this last week, maybe you guys caught this already. It was pretty amazing. Uh, Minneapolis was the host site of the Summer X Games. A 13-year-old girl, Brighton Zoyner is her name, she won the Women's Skate Park competition, gold medalist, youngest ever, 13 years old. She actually had just turned uh, 13 the day previous to the competition. And when I saw this, it actually made me think of the, uh, the kind of week one in our series where we talked about David being anointed king by Samuel, by a prophet. Well, he was, a lot of historians or theologians would estimate, he was probably right in this ballpark, right around the 13-year-old, kind of preteen, teenage age range. And it just made me think, uh, it's one thing for a teenager to be on a podium for skateboarding. It's another when you talk about one being the king of a nation, right? That is just so crazy, so hard to comprehend. Uh, but as we found out, uh, a lot happens from that moment when he's actually anointed king, actually kind of those words are spoken over him, to when he's actually sitting on the throne. And so to hit fast forward and kind of catch uh, maybe some of you up, uh, we found out uh, David uh, kills Goliath, the big giant, the big Philistine, uh, it makes him super popular. He's on like the ESPN top 10 every night for like a whole long while, uh, which makes Saul, the king at the time, super jealous, uh, so much so, uh, it, kind of a really broken individual. He decides to try to kill David multiple times. And, and so David, being wise, being a smart guy, uh, takes off. He has to run away. He's like a fugitive. Uh, he goes into hiding with some of his friends. And then last week, what we found out was David actually had a few opportunities to kill Saul, to kill this man who hated him with his own two hands, and he passed both times, both times. He, he was willing to wait on the Lord's perfect timing for this, uh, this word, this promise spoken over his life to become king, uh, to happen in the Lord's timing. And so what we're going to do, we're going to learn from David, and he's no longer just a 13-year-old, so, so no need to have that in your mind right now. Uh, as we fast forward, he's in his late 20s, and he actually just turns 30. We'll find out in a, in a, in a verse here later. Uh, but let, let me give you a little context of what happens right before this first verse that we're going to read together. Uh, David is still in hiding again, so he's not kind of in, in, in the same area as where Saul's at. And, and David and his men actually go to fight a battle against the people called the Amalekites. And so they go, and as, as usual, as, as always happens with David, again, ESPN top 10 all the time, uh, he wins. 
handedly, like a blockbuster movie. He, he rescues all the women and children, it says. He recovers all the belongings, all the lost treasure. Uh, and so everything's good with his battle. In the other part of the region, where Saul and the army of Israel are at, Saul leads them against another group of people that Israel is always fighting, the Philistines. Remember the Goliath guy? He was a Philistine. Uh, uh, and it doesn't go so well for them. It actually goes so badly that the army flees. Saul gets struck by an enemy arrow, it says. And as the chariots, as the enemy chariots are surrounding, he does not want to be disgraced by dying to the hands of the Philistines that he falls on his own sword, kills himself. We find out that him and three of his sons, one of them being Jonathan, and if you remember in week two, that was like David's best friend, they die. So Saul, his three sons, a lot of the army, done. Philistines the next day after battle, as they're going out, looking at the bodies, they find, given kind of uh, uh, who this person is, they find Saul, gets a little graphic, says they chop off his head, Old Testament right there, uh, and then they take his body. This is just brutal. I don't even get this. But they take his body, and they go ahead, and they strap it up to one of their city's walls. I guess that's just what you do when you win, okay? So there's Saul, headless, hanging on a wall. This news gets back to David, and this is where we will pick it up. In 2 Samuel now, so we're done with the first Samuel. We're into this next book. Chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. We'll read this one together here. It says, David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. David, he could have. He absolutely could have spun this moment with a little bit of an attitude, a little bit of like kind of polishing it as, you know, hey, Saul had it coming. Saul got what he deserved. You should have seen how he tried to kill me multiple times, and now he's bird food, so I might as well be your king now. He could have totally spun this however he wanted to place himself kind of as king in this moment. And yet the first response he has is to mourn, is to grieve, is to become angry even and, and saddened. And that is his first response upon hearing this news. And so in your first fill-in, if you like taking notes and kind of uh, jotting the little words in those little blank lines there, I'll give it to you. It's right here. As we learn about wisdom from this young man, David, the wise honor others, even those you'd least expect. Even those you'd least expect. A wise person is extremely humble. And it requires a lot of humility to take yourself out of the spotlight and lift up someone else, to honor someone else, to give them uh, much respect, high esteem. And that's what we see David do right here. A fool, a fool is much different. A fool has the idea that there's only so much respect or honor or celebration or kind of highlights to go around. And so they're trying to muscle other people out to kind of put themselves in that position. It's kind of the classic scarcity versus abundance mindset. Fools are just wrapped up in scarcity. The wise, they recognize, man, if only I could hear the stories of other people, I would have all kinds of different ways to celebrate them. They have their eyes open and their ears open to listen, to see ways how to show honor, how to celebrate people, and to do it, as we learned from David, and that's the kicker, to do it even for those that you'd least expect. You wouldn't expect David to go ahead and do what he did for this person, Saul, who tried to kill him, again, multiple times. 
It says he even wrote a song for him. If you read a few verses down in verse 17, it says, Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. Paul was so great with words, so great with, or, or David, sorry, was so great with words, so great with poetry. And he used that as a gift to, again, highlight, to honor Saul, someone, again, that you'd least expect. I've been to multiple memorial services, many here at Overlake, as we're celebrating the lives of people who have lived. And I'll tell you one one thing that gets me every time is when many times there's a family member or a friend who has written a song for that loved one who's now passed. And when they share that with others, whether it be on the guitar or just vocals or on the piano, it just brings me to tears. The power of it is so profound. And David does this for Saul. And actually, it's not just even a one-time thing when you look at David's life. A few chapters later, there's this guy named Abner. And, and he had been the opposing military commander for Saul's army. And then even actually for the current army of Israel at that time. Abner actually dies. And here is actually David's response to the death of Abner in this moment. In chapter 3 now, it says, Then David said to Joab... Joab is his military commander. He's like his right-hand man. And, and it heads up on here in between chapters 1 and 3. You learn, and this is again a little graphic, but uh, this Abner character has killed one of Joab's brothers, one of David's finest warriors and closest friends. It says that this guy, Ab, uh, uh, Joab's brother, was chasing him down, and, and Abner uh, kind of, <laughs> this is kind of gross, shoved his spear with the butt of the spear behind him as he's on horseback, and it goes right through the guy, kills him. Uh, obviously. Okay, anyways. So David is now telling this man who lost his brother to Abner, listen up. David then said to Joab and all those who were with him, tear your clothes and put on burlap, mourn for Abner. And the king David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. Again, honoring, respecting someone you wouldn't even expect. You wouldn't even expect. And I think, and I would argue, and I would even kind of kindly put this out here for us, I think this is a bit of a foreshadowing of a king to come, of Jesus. One who, as he lived, honored others that that culture would not have expected at all. I'll just go through a short list here. Women. Jesus had all kinds of followers who were women. The first witnesses to the resurrection were women. He honors them in a way that culture hadn't at the time. Children. Jesus says, let them come to me. He would have been helping at Kid Town Camp this week, by the way. Uh, The Romans, the occupying force, you look at the Beatitudes, he speaks of which the respect that you should honor your enemies with. The Samaritans, viewed as a half-breed, a mixed race, and he honors them with his time. You look at the disease, the disabled, and the culture, the Jews would say, oh man, surely they've done something to, to earn that state in life. And yet Jesus, what? Touches them, spends time with them, heals them. The poor and the outcasts, again, not viewed as worth your time and kind of shoved to the margins of society. And what does Jesus do? He brings them to himself. He dines with them. And we shake our heads now knowing better, right? Well, of course you would honor all those people. And yet what I would argue is we continue to fall into the same trap. Putting some people in buckets as worthy of respect or honor or celebrating and other people just kind of left to the side. Let me again share some, some groups of people that I've seen and I've witnessed this happen to. Non-English speakers in our area. Again, avoided, cast to the side. 
our Muslim brothers and sisters treated with fear, avoiding them, keeping them at a distance. Those with disabilities, whether mental or physical, that uncomfortableness that we sometimes get, we just, again, avoid them, keep them at a distance. Folks on the other side of the political spectrum from you, demonized. People even in the same faith, even in the same room, maybe a varied theological bent on a particular issue or two and quick to say, ah, heretic. It's amazing what we do, and yet I think we need to be reminded that Jesus honors every single one of those people by laying down his life for them. And if that is true, and if we nod our heads in this moment, how then should we treat them? How then should we treat everyone? And I would argue it's with respect, with honor, even those that you would least expect. So who this week, maybe who is this week that you viewed as the opposition, as the other, put on the margins, demonized, pointed fingers at? You might need to go ahead and clear out a little space at your dinner table and invite them over. You may need to go on a walk with them, hear their story, become humble, raise them up, celebrate their life. Because I guarantee you, there are things we're celebrating in every person's life. We just got to slow down long enough to actually get there. But David teaches us that reality. He also teaches us the second point that the wise do not self-promote. The wise don't self-promote. In kind of keeping with my ESPN theme thus far, I will share uh, something else that I saw on ESPN last week that was a little disturbing. Uh, uh, you guys have heard, probably heard of the big fight coming up in August. Uh, you got Floyd Money Mayweather against Conor McGregor from the USC. And if you haven't heard about it, don't even worry. I'm, I'm sad I'm even bringing it up in church right now. <laughs> These two guys have booked this crazy, it was a four-city stop over the course of four days two, in four large cities, and it was all about self-promotion. I kid you not. You're like, don't even, don't even search this. All you need to know is about what I'm going to tell you, Okay. You have these two guys on mic, running around, unscripted, and the whole goal, I'm not even kidding you, they're just promoting this fight come late August, I'm not going to tell you the date or pay-per-view or anything, but they're running around, and they're puffing themselves up, and they're putting the other one down. And this just happens for like half an hour, and they're just showing highlights of it. It was total garbage, total fools out there running around. Fools self-promote. Wise people, they don't have to, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Wise people don't have to promote themselves. Because others will do it for them. The cream rises to the top. We've heard it before, but we see it is true, and we see it's true in this story. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Then the men of Judah came to David and anointed him king over the people of Judah, his second anointing. And in this moment, again, this is just the people of Judah. There's 12 tribes in Israel. This is just one of them. The word spoken over David, again, as a 13-year-old, roughly or so, uh, was that he would be the king over the entire nation, all 12 tribes. This first tribe is the first one, Judah, his people, to say, be our king. We are anointing you king. We will follow you. If you go into battle, we will go with you. If you make a decision, we will back you up. That is what happens for David, promoted slowly over time, though. Again, not immediately, and others do it for him. He has to wait actually seven more years. Can't even imagine. Seven years now feels like 30. It just is crazy. Our time goes so fast. But seven years here, David actually waits as he's just king over one tribe before he actually becomes king over all 12 tribes, the entire nation of Israel. 
And in the time of those seven years, there's actually a man, one of Saul's surviving sons. His name's Ish-bosheth. Uh, it, did not, it did not make the final three on the Swanson's list for boys' names. Uh, go figure. But this guy's the acting king of the other 11 tribes at the time. And then he dies, and here's what happens. Check this out. We're now in chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5. It says, Then all, all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. Again, they're identifying, say, Hey, you're one of us. In the past, when Saul was our king, check this out, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. They're recognizing these things you've done, we've noticed. Now we're just kind of slowly catching up, you know? Then the, and the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. They even knew the promise over David's life. They even knew what was to happen in their own history as a group of people. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel. And they anointed him, the third, the final anointing for David here. They anointed him king of Israel. David was how old? 30 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. Seven were in, in Hebron over one tribe and the rest over the entire nation. Think of the patience it required to not self-promote when you get news as a 13-year-old and to wait till you're 30 to see it come to fruition. David was incredibly wise. A wise person kind of stays in their lane. They do the things that they've been asked to do. They kind of mind their business. They're obedient to what the Lord's asked to them. And that is exactly the example that, that David gives us. Makes me think a little bit. This whole idea of kind of promotion uh, versus others promoting you. It actually makes me think of Costco. I worked for Costco a couple years in their headquarters in Issaquah. Uh, and, and Costco is super interesting. If you were to walk through their corporate headquarters there, you, if you were to blink your eyes, you may miss their marketing department. It's just a couple cubicles. It is like so tiny given the size corporation it is. Here's a company that just started a little humble beginning, downtown Seattle over here, kind of in the Soto area. And what Jim Sinegal knew, what the stars or the founders of, of, of Costco, what they knew is that there's no such thing as a best kept secret. People talk. People talk. If you got a deal on this and people ask where you got it, you're just going to tell them. And that's led them over time to become as large as they are. And now, people, this is crazy to think about. Think of all the members that they have. People, if you're a member of Costco, here's what you are doing. And I'm one of them, so I'm throwing myself in the same bag. We are paying them for us to go shop there and spend more money. <laughs> Before they sell a single product, they have over a billion dollars on the books. Just cash, membership fees. They don't have to sell a thing. People are paying them to go shop there. And guess what? They don't spend millions on commercials, advertisements, naming rights to different sports facilities and everything. What do they do? They just treat their members well. And the members, oh, membership fees, $110? Yes, please, right? <laughs> it's crazy. They don't even self-promote. Other people do it for them. Costco is the David of businesses, right? You can write that down. Uh, what I would love to say before we move into this next point, and this is huge, this is important. I need everyone to catch this now. This is actually maybe one of the most important things I've said thus far. Whenever in our culture we talk about success or promotion, I need to remind you right here, right here, right here, I need to remind you 
of who we follow. Who do we follow? We follow Jesus, right? A man who came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a payment, as a ransom for many. I've heard this said. I think we got it on the screen too, but check this out. Listen, hear these words. If you find yourself climbing the ladder of success, be careful or else on your way up, you might pass Jesus on his way down. Ooh, whoa, whoa. I'll let that one sink in. A few of you are just coming back to, to reality here. Yeah. I think that's important for us to hear. As we see ourselves promoted over time in places of more influence, higher position, you have been placed there with a greater responsibility to love those you serve, to care well for those under you. That is why you're there, not so that you can seek more comfort and more abundance for yourself. We follow Jesus, guys. Let's not forget. Third one right here, the wise seek the Lord's advice first. The wise, they're good about seeking the Lord's advice first. What happens? Saul's killed. David mourns. And then he has a decision to make as to where is he going to live? Where is he going to reside? Where is he going to kind of make his, his little king, uh, uh, kingdom at or his little palace at here? So what's David do next? We read in 2 Samuel chapter 2. It says, after this, David asked the Lord, key phrase there, David asked the Lord, should I move back to one of the towns of Judah? Yes, the Lord replied. Then David asked, which town should I go to? To Juanita, the Lord said. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It'd be awesome. I mean, if they were, if the Middle East would have happened here in the Puget Sound, it would have been Juanita, guys. I'm, t- I'm telling you. Uh, to Hebron. To Hebron. Guys, what's so cool is that uh, uh, David, this is not just a one-off. Again, I think we see things in David's life that if, as you're reading these, these two books of the Bible, you'll see happen again and again. Seven times you see the phrase, and David asked the Lord. Seven times. From before he was king, and I think that was key. I think he had different habits, different postures, different practices that he was, he was utilizing before he was actually anointed king. And, and this is one of them. Seeking the Lord's advice first. Seven times he does this. And I'm sure even more uh, uh, that that just weren't even uh, maybe jotted down or or noted in Scripture here. The wise know this. The wise are so good. Uh, This is actually how they got wise. (laughs) It makes sense. The wise are great about actually recognizing all of us are smarter than any one of us. They love asking questions. They love listening. They love learning. Uh, Gary has this, Pastor Gary has this quote. I love this. He says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And that is how a wise person kind of views things. What could I do better? How'd you do that? What is it that you've learned that you know? What are your life experiences? And it has a way of increasing the wisdom in yourself. But you have to put yourself in that posture. You have to be willing to listen to other people's points of view. And another thing Gary says, uh, uh, a point of view is really just a view from a point. You have to recognize it's your perspective. And we have this picture, this elephant. You guys have probably seen this before, but the blindfolded people trying to describe different parts of the elephant. It's important. If you want to know what you're dealing with, you have to ask other people. Is it an elephant? Or do you think it's just a spear or a trunk of a tree or a rope or a snake or something else? And I think there's so much to be gleaned from here. We're dealing with some big issues of our time that I think we have to slow down. And before we charge it hard, think we know everything, we got to actually slow down and scope a little bit. Actually talk to some other people. Uh, How how are we going to deal with this rapid rise of homelessness in our area? we got to get other people's perspectives. 
How are we going to deal with, with, with the rapid rise of maybe drug activity? we got to slow down, get other people's perspectives on this. How are we going to deal with systemic racial inequities? we got to slow down, listen to other people, allow them to speak into this. How are we going to navigate this, this kind of big topic of our time with gender and sexuality things? we we got to slow down and listen to others. And what David teaches us, and this is key, is that the first person you ask is the person who made the elephant. Ask God. Seek his advice first, his opinions. What's he know, right? Seek him. David doesn't go to some radio personality or some famous author, speaker, pastor, neighboring king. He doesn't attend some local conference. He doesn't get all his answers out of some bestseller on New York Times or some other successful entrepreneur. He goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. And to be a fair critic, David was not perfect. We will approach chapters, and actually we've, we've even missed some things that I would say, actually, I don't know about that, David. Uh, there's some times where David did not, clearly did not seek the Lord's advice first. And in those moments, they were the worst moments of his life. Worst decisions he could have made. Top of that list, murder and adulterer times where he could have slowed down, at least seek the counsel of others. But surely, go ahead and ask the Lord's advice first. So what is it that you're dealing with, wrestling with? What decision is it that you're having to make a decision on? What I would say is be willing to let others speak into it, and then first seek the Lord's advice. Do those things. And lastly, I want to end us on this point, on kind of this idea and bring it all home as we kind of uh, desire to grow in wisdom as David was. And it's this, that the wise know their identity and their calling. The wise, they know their identity and their calling. Kind of break those down. They know who they are and what they are to do, what they were made for, their, their kind of personalized purpose. They know those things, their identity and their calling. Again, we see David honoring others in this passage that I'm about to read. Uh, these are the guys, uh, a little crazy, so we know last we heard of Saul, he was hanging on a wall without his head, kind of gross. Uh, these are the guys that were not okay with that. They said, we are willing to go behind enemy lines, take Saul's body down and his son's bodies down, and give them a proper burial. So they do that. Here's how David responds. 2 Samuel chapter 2. It says, When David heard that the men of Gabesh Gilead had buried Saul, he sent them this message. Again, look at how he honors them. We've learned about this already. May the Lord bless you for being so loyal to your master Saul and giving him a decent burial. May the Lord be loyal to you in return and reward you with his unfailing love. And I too will reward you for what you have done. Check this out. Here's where he's very clear. He actually knows. He's able to state his identity and his calling here. Now that Saul is dead, I ask you to be my strong and loyal subjects like the people of Judah who have anointed me as their new king. He actually is able to say, I am now the king. Would you follow me? Would you come under my leadership? Would you now be a strong and loyal subject to me as you were to Saul? He knows clearly his identity. He knows that he's to be the king and the leader and the shepherd of Israel. And this is where he owns it. And when you think of the calling, think of what a shepherd does. Really, it's four things, four key things. It's to know your flock, 
Spend time with those sheep so they know your voice, so there's trust that's developed. He uses what he's learned as a teenager, and he does this now as a leader, as a king. So to know your sheep, to lead your sheep, to go ahead, take them through all kinds of different environments, all kinds of different seasons, all kinds of different situations, but to lead them and lead them well. He does that again, not just with his father's sheep, but now with the people under his leadership. To lead them and then to feed them. No, lead, feed those sheep, provide for them, care for them. Lead them to the places where they benefit, where they grow, where they develop, where they're most cared for. No, lead, feed, and lastly, protect your sheep. Willing to put your life on the line, if need be, for that which is under you. Again, who is this foreshadowing? The king to come. The good shepherd, as John chapter 10 tells us. One who knows us. One who leads us, who feeds us, who protects us, who actually did lay his life down for us. That's who David foreshadows. What we need to recognize is that our identity is found in him, in Jesus. If you were to read the New Testament, you read all of Paul's writings, you would notice 216 times, 216 times, you'll notice the words or the variation of in Christ. Paul is adamant that our identity, that who we are, the very being of who we are, is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And he repeats it over and over and over again. That's what we have to recognize is our identity. David's name, this is really interesting, and I think it just serves almost how David's name was almost a marker for his identity. But the name David means beloved. Beloved. Again, that just is a a kind of pointing forward to the beloved of God. In Matthew, let's read this verse together. Matthew 12, verse 18, it says this, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. These words were written by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus is even on the scene. And that beloved of God, that Jesus, came down on a rescue mission for each and every one of us because we are loved by him. And in that, we have to find our identity, who we are. A few years ago, uh, I I was going to a Christian therapist, counselor for a season. We're big on counseling here at Overlake. We actually have have amazing counseling ministry, biblical counseling ministry. Uh, It's free to anyone. Um, So many amazing stories come out of that. Uh, but I was going to this, this therapist, this, uh, this uh, psychologist over in Kirkland, and in our first meeting, this guy had the nerve to give me homework to do. He gave me homework. Uh, I thought I was paying him for him to listen to me, and he sends me out with homework. Uh, but what the assignment was, it was so interesting. He said, I just want you to take a time, kind of quiet yourself, pull out a sheet of paper, and answer this question. He said, answer this question for me. Write the answer to who is Pat Swan- Swanson. And so I sat there, and I just wrote, The second half of the assignment was to ask two other people who know me really well, like at a heart level, who who like really know me. So I asked my wife, I asked Leah, and I asked my best friend, John Stearns, to do the same. They had to answer the same question. Who is Pat Swanson? My letter, when I brought it in and I read it to to this counselor, it was filled with things that I had accomplished, that I'd done, things that were very much performance based, almost read like the back of a baseball card. It was very clear, and many men fall into this trap, that I was beginning to see my identity as to things that I do, 
things that I've done, things I've accomplished. When you read the letters from Leah and John, they could not have sounded more different. It was amazing. They described me, and I, and I, love, I love saying these things. I didn't write them about myself, guys. They said he's encouraging. He's a joy to be around. He brings about life. He genuinely cares for others. He's generous with folks. He'll listen to anyone. He treats everyone the same. And these were things that, those are deeper things. Those are parts of my being. I think what can happen is the enemy knows that if he can attack this final point that we're talking about, identity and calling, who we are, what we're called to do, that it just cripples us from the life that we've been given in Christ, freedom of hope, of life. And that's what he seeks to do and destroy. And we just have to recognize, similar to David's name, that we are loved, that we are loved and allow our lives to just flow from there. I want to share one final thought, and then we're going to respond in worship here. Uh, two amazing things happened in my life this week. Two amazing things happened in my life this week. Uh, one, and I'm not even kidding, not being facetious. Uh, one was I got to be a leader at Kidtown Camp with a group of fourth grade boys. Woo! I, uh, I spent all yesterday resting up. Man, <laughs> those guys took it out of me. Uh, we got a picture of me with the guys. Yes, okay, guys, total rookie mistake. Learn from my mistake, wisdom moment. Uh, this is me on the bottom. You can barely see me. It looks like my head's going to bop off like Saul. Okay, but I'm laying down, and I say, I'm sitting down. I'm like, hey, guys, can you guys help me up? And then someone yells, dog pile, and then I'm crushed, right? <laughs> so I got all kinds of these type moments with a group of fourth graders. It was just so fun. And then later this day, uh, Leah and I got to go on our first date in six and a half months, and Sailor's been born. And so it took a village. and multiple people watching him. It was like, it took a whole group effort. So we went, you got to do something you eat to like, right? So we started the day. We were down at Westlake Area Center. Uh, uh, we spent the day with some shopping, and then the end of the day with Sanders. I, I just, I could not wait to go to Forever 21. So I, I just, I had to get there. Uh, <laughs> But it was a great day. It was so great. It was so fun to have those moments with the fourth graders in the morning and then to go ahead, spend some time shopping, got some bubble tea. Who loves bubble tea? Who hates bubble tea? Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, guys, love. We love everyone. Honor everyone. Okay. Had some bubble tea. Interesting moment in there. We're sitting in there enjoying some bubble tea. Some guy comes in, tries to shoplift some like candy bars or bags of tea or something, gets caught. It was weird. Uh, uh, we walk out of there. There's like this free karaoke moment going on downtown, kind of in the plaza there at Westlake Center. Uh, and music just brings all kinds of people. You have people who are just getting out of work, coming down. This one guy singing the Eagles, and he was dressed like he just came from like some C-suite, you know. And then, uh, and then you had people that they're probably living on the streets. They're probably sleeping nearby on, the, on, on one of the streets down there. Just all kinds of people. And then at the Sounders game, again, all kinds of people at the Sounders game. Uh, uh, let's just leave it there. But... Um, <laughs> But afterwards, I mean, it was such a great day. And then on Thursday, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in. I'm kind of spending some time, kind of massaging this a little more, kind of thinking about these principles and stuff. And I was just reflecting on Wednesday, on my Wednesday. And I was thinking, man, I saw, I saw the whole spectrum of life. I saw the most innocent, the boys, that all, all they worried about was, are they going to be able to get home and play with Legos? You know, that's like the next, next question they have for, for their parent that's picking them up. 
And then I just, you know, we saw people as we were shopping coming out of Nordy's with like just, just this one lady with all kinds of bags. She got all kinds of stuff coming out of there. You got people that are just like heads down on their phones, people coming from work, going to work. You got people again kind of with the cardboard signs. One guy was totally high, totally tweaking on something. We, we, we again, at the karaoke moment, there was, there was one guy kind of uh, sneaking little, little sips of alcohol from his flask. We, just at the Sounders game, again, we were right next to the section with people kind of waving the flags, doing the chants nonstop. It was, it was crazy. And, and what it made me think was, regardless, regardless who you are, your age, background, where you've been, where you sleep, how much you make, where you live, where you shop. Everyone needs to recognize their identity is going to be found in Christ. You've got to recognize that you are so incredibly loved. You have to start there. And then all this other stuff we've talked about can hang upon that. But the place we have to start is that Christ is enough. Christ is more than enough. Christ is all that we need. And so what I'd like to do is invite you to stand in this moment. And I'd like to close this in a word of prayer, but not close service, because I really would love for us to spend time responding, however it is that your heart sense in you need to respond, from something you've heard, felt challenged by, or feeling prompted from the Spirit in, in this moment. But let me pray, and then let's turn this moment over to the Spirit to allow us to to, to, to kind of live this out. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your servant David and for how he can teach us so many incredible things when it comes to wisdom. And I want to thank you for who he points to, to your son, to Jesus, and what he has done for us. And so I pray, whatever things we've held on to that maybe we've allowed our identity to get wrapped up in, would this be a moment of letting those things go? Would this be a moment of being in you as you are in us? And would you maybe in this moment, would you just give us a glimpse, a taste, a, a, a little bit of an experience as to what it feels like, what it is like to be loved by you? In your name, amen.